This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, how can we overcome the crises in our lives? And we asked this question today to two people. The first guest knows what it means to be time poor. Anne Winkle has worked in education, legal recruitment and runs her own executive search business, Delta Partners. Anne also wrote Time Poor, Soul Rich to help the inescapably busy develop a rich soul. Um, welcome, Anne. Thanks, Rob. And also, Anne's book features the stories of many inspiring women. And today, we're privileged to be joined by one of these women, Julie. Julie's story appears in the book in the chapter on adversity. And this is the theme for today, adversity. How can we overcome the crises of our lives? We're looking forward to hearing more about Julie today as she shares her story. Welcome, Julie. Now, it seems strange to suggest that adversity can be soul-enriching. Adversity, it's, it's such a challenging topic. And why do you consider it the casualty of a busy life? Well, I think the reason I call it a casualty is that we can probably neglect embracing adversity. We can put our head in the sand and, and try not to embrace it, not to address it. But actually, the reason I, I've got a chapter in my book on being enriched in your soul is because I think there are two types of adversity. You've got adventures which are enriching in themselves that's one type of adversity I think we all like an adventure and we can neglect that when we're busy but the thing about the struggling side of adversity is that it's about whether or not you embrace it and and hit it head-on and try and address it how you respond can be soul enriching or if you just sort of neglect it and ignore it then perhaps we're you know lesser for that particular response. Mm. Well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Now, former cyclist and a Tour de France competitor, Lance Armstrong, once said, I'm not happy if I'm not doing some physical suffering, like going out on a bike ride or running. My job is to suffer. I make the suffering. So there is a sense in which sport is self-inflicted adversity. So our smaller questions today are, how well do you know endurance races? Now, have you ever participated in an endurance race, self-inflicted suffering? Well, you're looking at the fastest runner um, of the primary school at St. Peter's Girls here. Wow, um, wow. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Anne? Yeah. Well, I won the, I won the cross-country run at my school. Well, we're here with two elite athletes here today <laughs> for this particular quiz. Now, the first question of this quiz is, the longest certified foot race in the world is run each year in the United States. How far is it in miles? Is it A... 160 miles, B, 1,000 miles, C, 2,700 miles, or D, 3,100 miles? Well, I'm, I'm imagining they're probably going right across America, so I'm saying the last one, whatever, is 3,000. 3,100 yeah. miles. What about yep, you, Yeah, I'm going with D. Well, you're both correct. The answer okay. is D. The self-transcendence 3,100-mile race is the world's longest certified foot race. It was created in 1996 by spiritualist Sri Chinmoy, as a 2,700-mile race, but it was extended to 3,100 or 4,989 kilometres in 1997. Competitors have to f up to 52 days to complete the route. I'm just wondering, would you be interested, perhaps, in trialling this kind of race? <laughs> 52 days? I don't think I've ever had more than a few weeks off in my life, never more than a month. <laughs> you don't think the primary school champion would be able to negotiate 52 days of running? Uh, yeah, well, maybe the first 50 metres. <laughs> The second question in, in this little quiz is, what is the route used for the self-transcendence 3,100-mile race? Is it A, 
across the United States from Los Angeles to New York City. B, circling a single New York City block 5,649 times. C, three laps of the US state of North Dakota. Or D, 12,472 laps of a disused running track on the outskirts of Chicago. Yeah, I think they are going across America. I think that's because that sort of fits in about that That's sort of distance, yeah. 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 What about you, Anne? What do you think? I'm going with around Dakota. Sure. Well, the answer actually surprisingly is B. The, the circling a single New York City block 5,649 really? oh, times. No way. Yeah, the route's a little over half a mile of one extended city block in Jamaica in Queens. So how would you feel about circling the same block over 5,500 times? <laughs> I think that the you would start to notice every insect, every cat that was out of place on the next lap. <laughs> how about you, Julie? You think that... Um, I don't, certainly wouldn't sign up for something like that, but I can imagine that, and I'm trying to visualise that part of New York, and you know, it's pretty ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> now, race founder Sri Chinmoy aimed to teach people spiritual transcendence through sport. He proposed that people go beyond physical limits into the world of the mind. So to what extent is overcoming adversity part of the mind? Oh, definitely, Rob. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's about perspective and you sometimes get stuck in seeing things the same old, same old, same old way. And uh, when you're in adversity, sometimes the, the tipping point or the turning point is when you, you actually shift, you start to see things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. What, your, what your thoughts, Anne, about yeah. being in the mind? Absolutely. I think, I think we can make choices about how we look at things and whether we let them sort of take control of us or whether we look outside of them, make contact with other people, you know, um, look for help and ask for help. And, and as Julie said, that perspective can make all the difference. The response we have to struggles can make all the difference. Now, 2012 winner was an Australian, Grahak Cunningham, who said that the monotony of the event is always hard, but you try to treat it as a journey or pilgrimage of self-discovery, where you try to improve yourself as a person and overcome your doubts and negativity. Is this part of the value of adversity in our lives, do you think? I think there's a discipline in in how we respond to things because I know for me I can sink into self-pity so easily or I can refuse to, I can sort of block that and think, no, I'm not going to have that response. I think we have, a, we have the power to, to respond in different ways. Even when things are really bad, we, we can make different choices about how we respond. So I think discipline in the mind is it's a true thing. Mm-hmm. So do you think we should seek out adversity, like trying to run a 3,100-mile race? I think there's something um, innate in us that wants homeostasis, that we do things to reduce stress, mm. e- even though, yes, you can, you can choose to do that. But by and large, our bodies want to try and keep things as they are, and, and we work quite hard at doing that. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think we actively seek it. I think, mm. yes, if you want to become a marathon person or, what, or you know, some of these people who are benchmarking and setting high goals. But by and large, our body's condition prefers to keep things because there's enough random things going on, you know, isn't Mm. there really? Mm. (laughs) Yes, yes. So that's our quiz for today, and I think both of you passed. So, oh. so give them a little round of applause. Both of you passed in our little endurance. That one out of two. Race quiz. <laughs> Your elite sporting pedigree has proved to be very useful. Now, Chidmore taught that the fatigue, stress, and injuries they face in the race represent the challenges that we have to overcome in life. Now, we meet a woman who seems as though she's run a 5,000-kilometre race. Julie, do you feel like that you have run or that you needed to run a 3,100-mile 
race? Yeah, I certainly would say, Rob, the last four, four and a half years have felt like a marathon. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you want to tell, share your story? Tell us what happened? What, yeah. what When you... Uh, inadvertently began this marathon of, of adversity? Yeah, and, and it was not something I chose. Um, my husband was sitting next to me and at that stage we had um, our eldest grandchild was three and we were watching Life at Three, which was a sort of funny um, longitudinal study that was that um, Australia had done. And uh, we were laughing at this, this, we just had a wonderful dinner and we were laughing at this picture of this little three-year-old thinking about our grandchild and all of a sudden he, he leant back like that and I thought he was laughing and he was actually having a, a coronary and he died um, at my feet. And uh, it's very interesting God's timing in this because the next day was October 10 and he and his business partner had had quite an acrimonious relationship for some 10 months and there'd been quite a bit of haggling over who was going to buy who out of the company. And um, the night before my husband died, let's remember that this was not something we knew was going to happen, my husband sat down and put before me all the documentation that I would need to understand about his business, which is really an interesting phenomenon. I was a school principal and I, you know, he did his thing and I did mine, and yeah, sure, we shared. but. Mm. But there was this night where he looked at everything and there was a lot of corruption that had gone on. Anyway, the day October 10th, so he's died on October 9th, October 10th was the day for the handover and his business partner was due to get half of their $16 million that had been valued at. Global financial crisis, 2008. And of course my husband dies. So what do you think happens to the, the business deal the next day? It's all, all off. Well, that set in, in train a trajectory, Rob, that I, I had not encountered. Uh, this business partner had been my, one of my husband's closest friends and he would regard as his best friend. And uh, by the end of the week, before my husband had been buried, uh, he was suing me, taking me to court. And so I embarked on a whole um, journey of having to wrestle with legalities. Um, and I sit before you four and a half years later with no credit rating still um, because of the consequence of that. So that in itself was, was, was a painful process uh, and something I wasn't counting on. Um, one of the things that happens to you when you're a widow is lots of people give you lots of advice and one of the advice I got was um, that I should uh, go on a holiday. Now my husband and I were very in love and, and I thought, well, why would I go anywhere without him? What's the point of going on a holiday without him? It's a very interesting thing when you become single, you know, how that affects how you want to have fun. Mm. Um, but my sister used to do those big Machu Picchu treks, yep. which I don't do because I'm the short distance runner. <laughs> the sprinter. The sprinter. <laughs> um, and I said, well, I'll see you at the end and I'll go to Machu Picchu that has Sacred Valley and I'll have a four-day retreat. I, I was used to having going on retreats, spiritual retreats, and I gave myself this four-day retreat. And I said, I'll meet you at the end. You go off and do your walk. So I had this wonderful village compound place to myself, beautiful weather, and God and I did business. Um, the first day... I had set out to just praise God. Everything that came into my head, I would take every thought captive that wasn't praising God and I would just praise God. And I journaled 
and I wrote about how all the forks in the road had happened in my life and how blessed I was. Just on that, some people, when they're faced with suffering and adversity as you've done, they actually find God hard to trust or hard to believe. How could you praise God in the face of this difficulty? Well, I'd carried around a Bible verse which was that passage from Romans, you know, all things work together uh, for good for those who have been called together for its purpose. I actually had it in the front. But there was an issue of trust. How could I... Was I was trusting God to look after me, but I wasn't trusting God. His idea of good things might not have been my idea of good things. <laughs> in fact, I was really starting to question whether God had the same idea of good things as I did. Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely right. But there was this day where I think, it's, we talked earlier about perspective, and so that day I was willing to just say, okay, God, I, I'm going to give gratitude. And it did shift my perspective. Something happened at the end of that day. My sister had said to me, um, look, you must have a massage with Margarita. <laughs> right, that sounds very sort of dubious. Margarita's a person or with the Yeah, drink? Margarita was, was a Peruvian uh, woman. She was about four foot high. And um, so I did at the end of the day. I'd been fasting anyway, and I thought, well, I'll have a, I'll have a massage. So I, I had this massage, and she massaged and massaged me. And all of a sudden, she found me convulsing. I was absolutely going, you know, shaking. And uh, she was quite worried as she was massaging me, thinking, What's, what has she done here, you know? Um, and in the end, I held her hands and I said, you are a gift to me, you are a gift from God. You see, I hadn't been touched for over two and a half years, physically touched, as you know, a husband and wife, you physically. And I realised that I had, that's part of grieving. You, you're grieving the loss of a lot of things and one of it was touch and, and that God had brought this lady into my life. Anyway, when I'd said that she was a gift from God for me, she said, you Christian! <laughs> and I said, yes. And so we started a whole story about that, but that's another conversation. So the next, next day um, was a day of confession. And I think we, we, as mature Christians, we do spend time uh, at God's feet, seeking his face about, you know, what we've done and, and we do business with him. And I wanted to revisit stuff, you know, in my life that maybe, maybe I hadn't cleaned up so well. And so it was a day of confession and purging and once again, fasting. At the end of the day, I went back to Margarita. But this time I had a detox massage where they completely... Uh, cover you in mud, like it's that green, like the bottom of the, the river kind of mud. Complete. And then they wrap you in heavy-duty black, um, like garbage bag stuff. So that, that was pretty horrific. Anyway, at the end of the day, she'd, she'd had some amazing uh, problem with her arm because she'd had so many, uh, you know, workouts, massage she had to do. And so I just prayed, I just put my hand on her after she'd finished with me. The shower was actually better than the massage, but uh, <laughs> after she'd finished, I laid my hand and, you know, she instantly was healed. And that, and that was the zone I was in. Do you understand that? Like I, I was in this space where I had been cleansed. I was just totally available to God. So the next day was, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I did something that my husband and I used to do at the beginning of each year, is to write on pieces of paper, church, family, friends, work, and, and you know whatever other sections that we, we'd put some from year to year, and say, God, this is, this is what I'm currently doing. Do you still want me to be doing this? Do you still want me to be doing this work? Do you still want me to be you know, doing this stuff for church, etc." Well, and this is where the story gets really interesting, Rob. 
I got a very strong sense by the end of that day that I was to leave Perth, that Perth is where I was living, where my husband was, where his mother was, you know, lost her son, where two daughters, two of his daughters, my stepdaughters, had lost their dad and other grandchildren had lost grandpa. To leave Perth, that's what I felt clear, to leave my work, and I was just setting up a Christian teacher training program, which interestingly enough, I had submitted three weeks before he died. God's timing is, is quite interesting in mm. all this. And to, to leave and to go to Melbourne, where I did have a daughter, but not especially close. Mm. And I couldn't understand, left everything. And this is where the adversity story takes on a whole new... Because mm, what happened after that? So. Well, I came back from Machu Picchu and because that was such a big thing, um, I was very loath to just announce it. So I spoke to one spiritual guy that I have in Sydney and said, what do you think? Will you pray about this? Because this is very big. And he prayed and in his spirit he felt that that was the case. And I also checked it out with another person. But I didn't tell anyone in Perth because it was going to be a massive thing, a massive change. I've been living there for 25 years. So I, en route to work, which was actually in Sydney, I used to commute, I stopped by in Melbourne en route. So I was about to tell them in Sydney that I was no longer working for them. My daughter picked me up from the airport in Melbourne and before I could tell her that God had told me that I'm relocating to Melbourne, she says, Mum, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I've got to go and see um, the specialist. Now, the specialist was the specialist of her husband who'd had a brain tumour that he'd been wrestling with for 10 years. And the specialist had called her in without him. Hmm. So I sat outside in the waiting room and she got the news that he had uh, weeks, possibly months, to live. They had a three-year-old child at that stage. And of course she's a mess and I'm understanding. I'm understanding what God had done. But understanding that isn't... Because you can see God's hand doesn't mean to say that necessarily makes it easy mm. to cope with it, Rob. Mm. And in uh, a few months, he was dead, and uh, I re-grieved. I re-grieved in a way that I had totally underestimated. Because I think, because when Brian had died, I had sailed along being so busy, you know, with all the finances. And now, there I was with nothing to do but be a grandma and to grieve, to grieve the loss of this son. You know, he was mm. my son-in-law, but mm. you know, my son. And it all tumbled uh, in on me that, who was I? Mm. Um, my family and friends were a long way away from me. My daughter was grieving, so, you know, she wasn't exactly nurturing me. Mm. And I was this grandma. And uh, with major financial problems that, that they had to sort of underwrite where I was living in order for me to survive. So everything, Rob, had been stripped from me. Well, thanks, thanks so much for sharing, Julie. Now, as um, part of Bigger Questions, we reflect on the Bible. And you've already referred to a passage which was obviously very helpful for you. Uh, there are other passages as well which have helped you. One of them is Philippians chapter 4, which says, 
I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So, Julian, your your experience, did you resonate with the experience of Paul here? Um, in ways that I could never have imagined that verse to mean, mm. Rob. And I think that's what what God does. He gives us ways of revisiting his word in very fresh ways mm. uh, from life's experiences. And I was sitting there with one pot and one pan, you know, a freedom bed, you know, an Ikea TV, you know, like I just had the barest of essentials. Because those Ikea TVs, they don't don't even get reception, do they? They're just (laughs) just pictures, aren't they? (laughs) And, you know, I had nothing. Mm. Uh, I had to go out and buy my woolly jacket because you you don't need jackets like that in in Perth. Mm. But one of the things that I want to share with you is God's provision in that time. Because I am living hand to mouth, and one of the things that I I continued to do was to seek his face and about my life and just draw down on the savings, trusting that God eventually would come good. And so I remember sitting in church this Sunday where this um, minister was doing the tithing message, you know, and we all sort of roll our eyes with that. And I thought, well, it's, you're wasting your time with me because I'm not earning any money. But I had taken out $50 for the week, and it was in my purse that particular day. And I felt a strong urge that I was to put this $50 in the plate. And I'm thinking, no, 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 don't think so. This cannot be true, you know. I've only got $50 for the week. Anyway, I couldn't deny it. It was, wouldn't leave me, so I put it in there and wondered what the week was going to look like. On Tuesdays of, of that particular part of my life, I, was, I picked up my grandson, had him for most of the day, and I would take him down to where the spirit of Tasmania comes in, you know, where it comes there at Port Melbourne. And I'd have his little play lunch of, you know, his little sultanas and apples and little treats and things that I'd have for him, and he'd sit there and play. And I kid you not... I found in the bushes a $50 note. <laughs> and it, it was probably one of the most powerful turning points in this adversity mm. um, story that God, God was saying, you know what? I've got your back. I've covered you. You know, you don't need all this stuff. Trust me, I will give you what you need in season and out of season. I will give you what you need. Now, this passage also here in Philippians speaks about Paul facing terrible adversity, yet finishes with him saying, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Uh, Did you feel similar? Did you find God as a source of strength? A lot of people knew what was happening to me. A lot of people. Um, It was pretty clear that, you know, the financial situation and also from my work. I prayed every day. I had a lot of time with God and people would say to me, well, how are you doing it? And I felt God was my rock. It was like everything else was flapping around and floating around, but I was standing on firm sand. Um, I think we still have to revisit that question mark that I had. Could I trust God Hmm. for good things? You know, I still felt very nervous about what what would you take me, you know, you've done all this, like, and, you know, is there more? Like, I didn't believe that there wouldn't still be more adversity. Mm. Uh, Yes, I could trust him. I could lean on him. 
you know what? I couldn't lean on anyone else. I could only lean on him. Mm. Um, and then God gradually brought people into my life. But do you know what he wanted me to learn? And this is something that somehow or other in my life's journey, Anglican minister's daughter, a believer all my life, somewhere I had forgotten that God loves me because he loves me. And I had been very much a works person, you know. I'd volunteered at church. I'd, I'd you know, been like a church elder. I had I'd been in, you know, worship teams. Mm. I had put together a Christian teacher training program. You know, gosh, you know, that should be, you know, the gold pass. <laughs> but you know what? What God wanted me to learn was it's not what I do. It's who I am in mm. him and that he loves me because he loves me because he loves me. And you know what? I think I had to stay in that space. I don't think I was any use to him until I got that, you know? Until it was grafted into my very being. Can you trust him now? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And you know what? Things have happened. I'm about to go and have a bit of surgery tomorrow. And... And he and I, we're in this together because I say, you know what, where, whatever circumstances, you know, that passage from Isaiah, you know, I'll take you through fire or whatever it is. I'm not fantastic with all those <laughs> verses, but, the, you know, I know that I can. I can go through fire again. You know, whatever the enemy serves up to me, I know I've got um, the hand of Christ holding me as I go through it. Mm. So, Anne, um, Julie... Adversity, how can we overcome the crises of our lives? Gosh, I'm, I'm a big believer in what Julie has shared, that when things go bad, it's more about knowing that somebody's with you in it than it is about necessarily knowing your way through. You don't ever know the end from the beginning, but if you've got friends, family, God by your side, and particularly for me, I had that experience after a car accident that I just felt the presence of God with me, and it made all the difference. And that didn't matter kind of what happened, he was bigger than all of that, and that's what made the difference, that he was bigger, yeah. Mm. Uh, nothing's ever wasted in God's economy, and that adversity he's allowed you, like he allowed Paul, will bring fruit. What we need to, just chill with is that it's not our prerogative to see the fruit. Uh, we, we trust the Creator through that. We trust His hand holding us, but we can't presume that because um, we get through the other side that we will necessarily have a whole lot of angels going, you know, <laughs> great. We, we walk with Him and we trust Him through the fire and through the flood, and that's our rock. But let me leave you with the Bible's reflection on the big question, how can we overcome the crises in our lives? From Philippians 4, 10 to 13. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guests today, Anne Winkle and Julie. Hi everyone, Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bigger Questions and we hope you enjoyed the show. 
Now, we always love hearing from you, our podcast listeners, so please let us know what you love about the show or what big questions you want addressed. Now, we really want bigger questions to create bigger and better conversations in our world, so feel free to let us know how this podcast has impacted your own thinking or conversations about the bigger questions of life or who you've shared it with. I've noticed a number of people recommend bigger questions on social media recently when people are asking for new podcasts to listen to. So thanks for the shout outs and glad you enjoy the show. So you can get in touch through our website, biggerquestions.org, or you can send us a message on the Facebook page. We'd love to hear the big questions that you're asking. Now, if you think we need more quality conversations and want to invest in bigger thinking, so why not support us on Patreon? For as little as US $1 a podcast, you can help create better conversations about the bigger questions of life. So go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Hope to hear from you soon and tune in next week where we begin a special series in the lead up to Easter. We're going to be asking big questions about the events of that Easter week, the week that changed the world. So thanks for listening and remember to keep asking the bigger questions.